0: Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Getting back on time, here we go. Palm Sunday, happy to see you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who of your fatherly mercy did not spare your only begotten Son, but gave him up to death and even to the cross, we beg you now, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that we may be heartily comforted by this grace, and henceforth guard against sin, and patiently bear whatever you send us, even to what you send us to suffer through him that we live forever with you. Amen. All right. Happy Palm Sunday. Busy week in the church. A lot going on. Um, Let's see here. If you want to come to Absolution, I think 530, not tomorrow, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, Nothing on Wednesday. It goes quiet. But Thursday in the morning, and the evening, and Friday too. And then uh, Vigil on Saturday. So come along if you want to come to that or Easter Sunday. Uh, a lot going on. Questions about anything? Just a scat of stuff going on. We're going to try to make it through with a few, um, uh, you know, with fl- few slip-ups as possible. I was uh, struck by a bunch of things this morning. One, you know, one of the things is um, one of the really nice things. Pastor Nelson and Pastor Buse are both really bright. But even beyond that, they're both studying uh, the next important thing. So, you know, Pastor Nelson is all about this theology of the body. There's nothing more contested in in society than, you know, how we think about bodies and what that means. You got a little whiff of that. He's been doing it with Pastor Bukes on Fridays at Women's Bible Study. You got a little whiff of that today. But kind of rethinking, you know, we're so shallow in our approach to people. We basically see people as naked or not naked, and that's sort of the end of the game. But that whole little riff in there about seeing into people, and that explains then all sorts of things like naked and unashamed, and Jesus naked on the cross, and what that means when Jesus takes our shame, and yet uh, he's, he's shameless of himself. It's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that are going on in there. So uh, And Pastor Bukes, too, is kind of hooked, hooked up with this guy, um, a very clever theologian. Uh, in the south who's kind of keen to think about the scriptures, typology, law, and gospel from another. You're very fortunate to have those two guys. They're both really quite remarkable. And it's nice to see it start to spill out into what they do on a regular basis because, you know, they're thinking way ahead. You'll hear about this from other people ten years from now, right? Um, The Benedict option, right? You know, spirituality, community, prayer, right? Beauty, Christ. Yeah, you've heard this already for 15 years. Should have written a book and been rich. So, um, But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but it's just nice, those, those two guys, it's really fabulous. It was nice to have so many kids there this morning, um, even though we couldn't get in. So, you know, it happened. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, it's good. I mean, it's an unanticipated um, issue. But it was, you know, in the end, except I'm sorry to the choir I didn't give you your cue because I was afraid I was catching somebody on fire and I got distracted. So it's, it all works out. You know, it's, it's, Plus, I don't know if you heard this, but I don't know who it was. So this is not to shame anybody because I don't know who it was, but there's a kid right behind me who, just as I said, this is the word of the Lord, goes, this is really boring. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I wanted to laugh. And I wanted to turn around, but I didn't want to, I don't want to think ill of anybody, right? And then I'm thinking to myself, boring? Everything is hot and sharp and moving, and you can get your eye poked out with one of these. You know, but, so I, you know. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. So, God, God, yeah, just whatever your spot is, just keep going. It's, I mean, um, so anyway, a lot of really good things happening. Um, I was struck in the readings for today, and you might pay attention to this through this week now, how much talk there is in this week about being alone as well as being lonely. So those two things are not the same, but they can accompany each other. You know, you can be alone without being lonely. Um, I treasure time alone, so I'm an, an introvert in that sense that I'm recharged by being alone. Um, other people, you know, you know recharge by being extroverts and having their 100 closest friends over when they're really tired, right? So I'm, you know, I'm different. I mean, I, so, but there, there's a difference between being alone and then being lonely, and that's, it's interesting because you, you have both factors going along. Regularly, in what was sung today, in some of the margin comments, in the in the readings, it's a lot about being alone. And there's always this notion that you get separated from the herd, and then you're in great danger, right? So your fear and loneliness, and you start to feel what Jesus is going to feel as he goes to the cross. It's a, it's a very difficult week in that sense. But if you haven't been to church yet, or if you took a bulletin, just kind of read through and look for those themes about how Jesus really is cut off is the way Hebrew, or the way the um, Old Testament talks about it, right? He is cut off from everything, from his people, and in the end even cut off from God. It's a, kind of, it's a frightening thing. The Holy Spirit, of course, is exactly the opposite of that, and you should begin to think about that now as the Holy Spirit being the one who sort of hugs the Father and the Son together, Right, he's a person, so he pulls together these two persons. Right, that's what he does. We'll talk about this in just a second, but he sort of holds the father and the son together, and then, of course, makes you the church. That's what we'll do next time. And he pulls you near. Sidebar: What I should have said is Easter next Sunday, the following week. Remember, just there is a Saturday night service, but a Sunday morning service, and then brunch. One hundred and fifty years, and um, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So mark your calendar. Come back on that. You know, two weeks from today at 8.30. And, you know, I'm sure we'll be done by noonish or something like that, but it should be fun and a lot going on. So a lot of people have put a lot of work into it, and um, we're grateful for that. So kind of think ahead for two weeks as well. Uh, questions about anything at all you want to just talk about? Come to the Eucharist this week. I mean, come to church. Bring your friends. It's, uh, it's a glorious time in the church here. So we'll, we'll try to um, have everything work together. <laughs> So um, we just left off with how Jesus continues to come to people and how you see God in the face of Jesus and how you feel God in the touch of Jesus and how um, Jesus reclaims the world one person at a time by touching them, by healing them, by talking to them, by blessing them, by praying for them. Um, And now today, finally, by sending his Holy Spirit. Um, I've said again and again in this time that we've been together that um, love is very tender, and one of the things that, that happens with a very tender love is that it forgives everything, and then it sort of releases energy. This is the last point from, the last, from last week. It's the, the peacefulness actually releases energy. One of the reasons that families, um, well, individuals, families, churches, governments that are always fighting, the reason they don't get anything done is because there's a finite number of energy, Um, finite amount of energy. And you get to spend your energy, spend your heartbeat, spend your life any way you want. But if you spend it all on fighting, um, what happens is, is that there's never this release of energy for loving things. So one of the great things about being forgiven and loving people in the way that Jesus loves them is you sort of get, if you will, this peace dividend, right? You get this peaceful energy that sort of washes over. Now, it's a thing that's not happening much in America. Um, When you see it, you should embrace it no matter where it comes from. But this whole sense of uh, peacefulness releases energy for positive things, for loving other people, for doing good, for being kind, for being honest, for embracing the virtues, as opposed to anger, which goes to hatred, which goes to hurting other people, which goes to destruction, which goes to chaos. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why regularly we have wars, because we kind of can't stand being, you know, we, we forget. We're such short, short memories. We forget what it's like. Um, we forget what it's like, how horrible wars can be, how horrible chaos can be. You know, it's, it's very interesting to talk to people in war zones where they say things like, I've, I've had two or three people I've talked to in the last couple of weeks who said, all said the same thing about different parts of the world, which is we don't know what the law is, and we don't know who's in charge, Right. Now that's a very difficult way to live when you don't know who's in charge or what the law is, which means you can kind of be, you know, arrested, tortured, jailed, killed for anything at any time at the whim of whoever has a gun. You know, we don't know. We don't. Chaos is. You know, we've lived so long without chaos, and our wars have been fought elsewhere for. You know, since the mid uh, 1800s, right. When we've been in wars, but they've been elsewhere. You see what happens when people come back from war and how they how they look, right? And what they felt and what they talk about, what they don't talk about, and what the effects are. Largely because we haven't had that, um, you know, in 150 years. Now we embrace. being uh, uncivil in a way as if that would solve our troubles. And we do that in families, and we do that in governments, and we do that in universities, and we do that with each other people. The problem is, is you know, at some point, it snaps apart, and you have chaos. And then, when you have that, you wish that you didn't. But of course, now it's too late. The genie is out of the bottle. It's impossible to stop it without more trouble. So um, the first rule for vicars, you don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble, right? You don't Get out of trouble. You stay out of trouble. Um, that's the first rule for every vicar. You don't, and for life too. You don't get out of trouble. Stay out. If you do that, though, it's this remarkable thing where you have energy for peacefulness and loving people who are um, somewhat unlovable and doing good to those who hate you and turning the other cheek. But that really takes um, kind of focus and rest and blessing, and the absence of and and not wasting your energy on things that are hateful, useless. Murderous, terrible, basically not wasting your energy to break the ten commandments right so that 's what comes to you in the person of jesus this this love that is very, very tender now, on the other side of it, you know there is this toughness of it as well there 's this pursuit, um, the way love pursues people and doesn 't let go it really is quite a quite a startling thing. And that's kind of where we are today with this notion that we believe in the Holy Spirit. That everything that the that the creed talks about, you know, talks about creation, incarnation, and Mary and Pontius Pilate, and you know, the crucifixion and Jesus' resurrection. Um, it's not that love is just tender. I've been saying that for a very long time. But it's also that love is extraordinarily tough, and not the kind of toughness that kicks people out but even a greater toughness that holds people near. You know, people who are kicking and screaming and hurting and, and, you know, that you love people. um, Turn me over, right? This side's done, right? Saints who, you know, go to their death and say to people, hey, I love you, right? Right before they, they kill them. Or, you know, just before your head's cut off, people say, Christ is Lord. That's the kind of Toughness. Well, you you might not think of that normally as as love. You might think of that as other things like courage, for example, or strength. But at base, every, every every God is love, and every virtue comes from love. So there's only one there's only one virtue, which is divine love. That's love is all that there is. Right. Everything else is drawn out of that. So um, we want to explore the toughness of that, and I've given you under Port point two here, you know, the way that the Lord is, is expresses that love. One of the ways that the Lord expresses that love is to send his Holy Spirit to live inside you, right? So this is one way, the difference between Christians and not Christians is the Holy Spirit is inside them, active and, you know, having a good go. So Jesus now, you remember this is from John's gospel, John's gospel, a long bit of John's gospel, um, most of John's gospel is the crucifixion, and a long bit of that crucifixion is the high priestly prayers. A couple of chapters where Jesus prays off and on. He's explaining to his disciples, and he's praying for them, and he's praying for him in front of them, and he's saying, this is what I'm giving you, and this is the way it's going to be, and their eyes are rolling back in their head, and they don't quite know what to do, and they feel threatened, and Jesus is calm, yet he's sad, and he begs them to do things, and of course they can't do it, stay with me, you know. Be, you know, and the sadness of Peter betraying him and Judas going out the door and you know, all those sorts of things, that Jesus engages that. The reason that Jesus can engage that and hold on is because he knows no matter what, his Heavenly Father loves him. And because of that, no matter what, he loves you. And one of the ways he shows you that he loves you is to give you gifts, especially gift big G, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things under I believe in the Holy Spirit to lose is the notion that the Holy Spirit just gives gifts in the same way that Jesus just gives gifts. If I ask you what's important about Jesus, you would say to me, Jesus forgives my sins. Jesus shows me what it is to live in the way of, 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 of our Heavenly Father. Jesus fulfills the commandments. Jesus walks the way of the cross. All that is true, of course. Those are gifts that Jesus gives, but the big gift that Jesus gives is himself, which is why the Eucharist is the center of life. Because in the Eucharist, Jesus gives himself, his body and his blood, the same body and blood that was on the cross. He puts himself into you. It makes you indestructible. It makes you a new person. It gives you new energy and possibility exactly the same thing happens with the Holy Spirit. If I said to you, you know, what does the Holy Spirit do? You know, this red-hot table over here would quote to me the small catechism, even as he called, lightens and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps us in the one Christian faith, right? That, yeah, exactly right. That's what you would say. But I would say to you, that's a C plus. okay? Uh, you know, we got, the, because the thing is, 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 it's not just that he gives gifts, it's that he gives gift. He gives himself big G. This is a long tradition in the church. It's very difficult to hate people when you realize that Jesus is inside them. In the same way, it's very difficult to hate people when you realize the Holy Spirit is inside them. It's very difficult to hate people when you understand that the Father made them. Any people. I'm talking about any people, right? This completely revolutionizes how we talk about our families and... um, our, you know our society and, and how we live in the world and it 's difficult you know it 's difficult and and people hate you for it. There were bombings again this morning in Palm Sunday in Egypt, two Coptic churches blown up with people inside it 's horrible stuff, right? Um, you can set your stopwatch and see how long this will be in the news, not very long, right which is a great sadness so um, it is what it is, but you just have to keep going. So I give you this little text from John here. Where, you know, if you, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? You know, I'll take care of things. Kind of relax. This is 15, number 15, 2. And this is from John's Gospel, chapter 15. Okay, so this is today's outline, the second part. If you love me, you keep my commandments, right? So this isn't some sort of threat like, hey, you should keep the commandments. It's like, you know what? Love is the best way. And, you know, uh, if you follow, I'm walking in love, you should walk in love. If you're Christians, if you follow Christ, you walk the way he walks, you see the way he sees, you do the way he does. If you love me, right, I love you, I'll always love you. If you love me back, you'll do what I do, say what I say, see as I see, act as I ask. You'll be generous, you'll be kind, you'll be forgiving. You'll manifest the life of the, the Holy Trinity in your ongoing life on earth. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And I'll ask, now for you who are clever, you can see how many of the things that Jesus is doing that we always talk about. Christ, scripture, prayer, the Eucharist, tithing and alms, mercy and witness. Boom, Jesus is going to describe them all right here. So Christ at the center. Now what's he saying? I will ask, which means Jesus is praying for you right now. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper. And so there's, um, it's one of the chief words for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. So you get a couple of ways that we um, talk about the Holy Spirit in scriptures. In the Old Testament, the Spirit is spoken of as ruach, which is breath, oh, like this spiriting thing. What happens when people die? They stop breathing, right? They don't breathe anymore, all right? Um, so so this this breath is what enlivens us. Um, in the New Testament, in the Greek, that comes in in a couple of different ways. One is um, pneuma, like pneumonia. Which is spirit, again, ruach, breath. But another way it's spoken of is the paraclete, paraclete, okay, which means to be a helper, a consulate, a lawyer, an attorney, an advocate, somebody who argues for you, right? So the Holy Spirit always taking your side in any argument. That's very comforting. You know, for your damn sins, you know, there's the Holy Spirit saying, there are some extenuating circumstances here. There are some excuses. They're all bad, so we're not going to use them. We're going to throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. So the Holy Spirit keeps you from being stupid. Congratulations. This is really good news, right? Because otherwise, you'd try to prodigal son your way out of your sins. But no, no, we don't do that here. Because there's no excuse for sin, right? There's no excuse for sin, and there's no way to fix it. So he says things that you should say. He gets help for you, right? So he is your helper, your consoler, your comforter, your advocate, your attorney, if you will. He speaks for you. Um, And that comes into, um, again, into Latin as spiritus or spirit or ghost. So you used to say Holy Ghost, and now you learn to say Holy Spirit. But, um, you know, that's how the scriptures talk about it. So there is this life, this love that the Father is going to give you to be with you. This is very important. that he's with you forever, So there's the counterpoint to being alone. He's with you forever. So Christians cannot say, as I've told you a zillion times, you cannot say nobody loves me. You cannot say I'm all alone. You cannot say nobody understands me. You cannot say these things and tell the truth. Because the Holy Spirit is inside you, probing the depths of your heart with sighs too deep for words. He prays for you as your advocate. His spirit is intertwined with your spirit, right? The way Jesus' body and blood are intertwined. The way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are intertwined. The way at the Eucharist, bread and wine and body and blood are intertwined, right? His spirit is twisted up with your spirit, and he knows you better than you know yourself. And that happens forever, right? So I'm going to pray that I'm going to give you somebody to help you. I know this is the loving thing to do. You help people to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. There you go. Beat the New York Times to the punch. Whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't know him. You don't get this naturally. It's not of the world. It's not in the world. You don't get the Holy Spirit naturally. The Holy Spirit is other. Right? He's part of creation. He broods over the waters. Right? And, you know, the very beginning of Jensen, the spirit broods over the waters. And then Jesus comes to to, to be baptized, and the Holy Spirit again appears over the waters. And then you come to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit broods over the water. So the water in the font is moving. That's the reason, you know, that's the reason the water moves in the font. In the early church, they said, if it's at all possible, you baptize people not in a still pond, but in a moving river, in moving water, if you can, if it's possible. Go into a moving piece of water, a piece of water that's troubled or breathing. Because you remind people that the Holy Spirit is brooding in that water, active in that water, right? So it's why the water moves out of the font and goes over the side. So the world can't receive him, it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him. But you know him because he dwells in you, with you, and will be in you. So he's with you and in you, and then this great things. Hey, you're not orphans. You're mine. I'll come to you. You know, I might be gone a while, but you're not orphans. See this whole aloneness notion that you've been abandoned by everybody who should care most closely for you? No, that doesn't happen. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you. So partly, uh, you know, Christianity is about doing. It's also about learning. Like you can't not be in Bible study, right? Right. I mean, you just you just can't you just have to you just have to go. You have to just pick a Bible up. There's things to learn, right? It's not a data dump, but there are things to learn. And you know, you learn some things by reading, and you learn some things by doing. And your pain is a good teacher. You know, what else is a good teacher? Loving people and being loved—that's a good teacher too. Going to the Eucharist is a great teacher, right? I often think when I put the host into your mouth. It's like like dropping a bomb inside you on all the things that are horrible and evil that you wish you could get rid of. It's like this one by one. It's great. Especially to somebody who's slightly in You know not what you do, right? That's great, right? It's one of the great things about being at the altar. At least you know what I'm thinking. So... um, Right. Okay. So he's going to teach you, and he's going to teach you to remember. Right. The problem is we don't remember what it's like to 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 live in chaos. We don't remember sometimes. Remember, remember is a synonym for faith in the Old Testament. When you don't remember, you don't have faith anymore. Um, Today, the Deuteronomy lesson. When you come to the promised land, you know, don't tell yourself the reason you're in the promised land is because you're the smartest and you're the biggest and you're the best and you're the strongest. Remember to tell yourself that you're here because the Lord himself brought you out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and across the Jordan. Remember your story, right? Don't make up another story. There's a story about how God loves you. That's the story that you tell. Now, just so you think that this is just kind of a one-off, or Jesus is making this up as it go along, as the Father loved me, so I love you. There's just one love. It comes from the Heavenly Father. It's divine. It comes in the person of the Son, and is expressed to you in the person of the Holy Spirit, who's always sort of shy and pointing to the cross. Remember how John the Baptizer goes? It's the um, Eisenheim altarpiece, right? John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. Um, he He must increase, I must decrease. That's what the Holy Spirit always does. He's shy, right? He's busy, powerful, and yet always pointing over to Jesus. Well, the Father loved me, I loved you. Abide, this great thing about abide, which means to stay where you're put. So you put a person into baptism, you put him into the font, you put him into the church, you put them into the body of Christ, you put them in a family. Stay put. These are your people, right? These people are more your people than your the people than your family are your people. If you've got people who are outside the church in your family, this is your real family. Your family is not defined by the blood in your veins or the color of your skin. Your family is defined by everybody else who has been baptized. That's your family, right? That's where God has put you. He's put you into the ranks of the baptized, right? Into the communion of saints, right? Your family is the people who have had the Eucharist this morning. That's your family, and you all should act like it, and I should too, right? If you keep my commandments, now hopefully you can hear that as, if you love, if you obey, if you do good, if you don't touch evil, if you welcome the gifts I've given you, if you remember, if you understand that it's way better to, you know, um, go to church, have God first, um, love your family, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, be happy with what you've got and carry on. If you remember all of that, right, you should welcome this notion of commandment as a happy word, right? I have... um, uh, I, if you keep my commandments, so if you stay put, if you stay within the boundary of the commandments, if you abide in my love, right, just as I have cut my Father's commandment and abide in his love, 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 right? What's the one word? This is for you guys if you ever make it through seminary. This will happen as a question. They will say to you, Mason, give me one word that fulfills the law and the gospel, and you'll say, yes, you will. <laughs> Thank God there's still hope for placement. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, because and you, you, you memorize the text and you won't be sent to Zap, North Dakota so uh, you know, just as sorry, sorry you people in Zap, if you're listening, I love you I, I only meant it as an example uh, nothing more just as I've kept my father's commands and abide in his love, so do what I do see as I see, say as I say, this is, you know this is why it's always in front of you, what Jesus is doing and then this great thing, right I didn't tell you this because I'm mean to you I'm a bad parent, I want to ruin your fun. I've told you this, that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. So you get joy, but not just a little joy, that your life would be full. Your life in this room, right? Play your cards correctly, and in this room should be the best thing that ever happened to you, or actually better downstairs in that room. That should be the best thing. That should be the epitome of your life. Try to remember that when I bring you a great big bill to remodel it, okay? Say to yourself, this, you're not laughing, makes me nervous. You should say, oh, yes, because this room is the, that's why, you, but honestly, that's why you don't build a pole barn for a church. Because that room is meant to express your joy. That room is meant to express, when, when temple and synagogues were built in the Old Testament, it was the place in town, right? The sanctuary should be better. It should be the best room in town, Right? The sanctuary should be the best room in town, right? That was always even the competition between Solomon builds the temple, and then he goes, ooh, the Lord's got nothing. How did we forget about that, right? So, I mean, it's it's always the way it is. The tabernacle is the best place in town. That's how you have to think about it. I'm flipping the page. I'm going away. I'm going to the one who sent me, but it's to your advantage I go away, and here you go, because the gospel is always more, because the gifts are always more. If I don't go away, the helper won't come. So I've had a run at you. This is a little like when uh, when your mother says to you, go see your father, but not exactly with that tone, right? She's like, I've done all I can for you. You should go see, you know, you should get a second opinion, right? It's a little like that. So, I mean, here you go. I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage I go away. I mean, I've I've been banging my head against this wall for three years, and you're all about to kill me. So maybe we should try another tact, okay? um i don 't go away. the helper will not come to you, but if I go, and then the graciousness of this, hey i 'll send him. hey, so maybe you 're not so bad. Maybe you are worth more. maybe there's possibility here. Maybe love never gets up, right? Maybe grace is endless, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, law this is that's wrong, this is right, right, and ju- righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they don 't believe. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, right? Now, the constant, constant admonition to be who you are, to grow up, right? To move from milk to meat, right? To go to solid food. The constant admonition to mature. You're not, you know, if you're always eight years old, you're not as useful to people as you could be. I mean, you can't reach the pedals on a stick shift, so you can't drive a tractor. And if you can't drive a tractor, ask the wenties what are you good for, right? You can't even have a family farm if you can't drive a tractor, right? It's in the Confessions. You can go to the Eucharist and drive a tractor at eight, right? That was true in the Confessions. So, um, you know, hey, I got to go. I'm telling you more than you can take. Truth is going to come, and then you'll be guided into truth. And he's not going to, just like me, work on his own authority. We all take our cue from the Heavenly Father. who, Whatever he hears, he will speak. He'll declare the things to you. He'll glorify me, but see, the Father's done that already, too. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you so you don't forget. Then the last line, 15. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, so the Father gives all his gifts to the Son. Therefore... I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. And now, you know, that launches into the things we've talked about before, about you being part of the royal family. And this is the reason your prayers are heard, because you're part of the royal entourage, not just slaves, not just servants, your family, and you can give advice to the Father, and he listens to you, and you can bring other people's burdens and say, fix this, right? Look at it, because this is what it is. He'll take what is mine, even his sonship, and declare it to you, right? Okay, how you doing so far? Are you still okay? You all right? Um, you know, there's a few minutes left. What I want to try to do is try to get you to esteem the Holy Spirit as a person, not just this kind of ephemeral sort of floating presence or kind of an idea that's out there the way Plato would think about things. We always have to rebel against the notion that if we can't touch things, they aren't real, right? Angels are real, even though you rarely see them. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit is a real thing. In fact, he's a real person. Love is tangible, and love is incarnate, if you will, if I can talk that way, in the Holy Spirit. And so I get the bottom of under three. I've given you all sorts of ways that um, the scriptures talk about it. They talk about the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Lord, but also, and if you spend some time with this, the spirit of promise, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of truth, the spirit of glory. What He's talked about in terms of the gifts that he brings you. He's the gift, big G, and he brings you all these different gifts. And when you eat these gifts, when you hear these gifts, when you get these gifts on you, when these gifts touch you, when they energize you, when they illumine you, when they show you possibility, when they adopt you, when they pick you up in one place and drop you in another place, when they give you work to do, when they give you resources, you know, to do good work, right? That's the Holy Spirit showing you the way forward. Flip the page. Um, everybody needs a little Thomas Aquinas from once, once in a while. You know, Thomas Aquinas, he was, a, he was big and quiet, they say. His classmates called him the dumb ox um, until he finally spoke, and then they're like, ooh, smartest guy in 500 years. So, um, you know, it's said that, it's said that um, until Benedict, um, the smartest guy in the church was St. Gregory the Great, uh, great pope in the 500s. Um, when Benedict became the pope, they said, probably the smartest pope in a thousand years. Aquinas was um, in that level of guise. Uh, He wasn't a pope, but he was uh, a genius in his ability to synthesize things and then to explain things. Well, you know, he wrote this thing, Summa Theologica, this, this great, you know, summary of doctrine, summary of theology, and, you know, still used today. He he understood how Plato worked. He understood how the Neoplatonists' work. He understood Greek culture. He understood Western roots. You know, this is in the twelve hundreds, and he was able to. And he understood the Scripture, and he was able to spin it all together um, with ways of thinking that we still use today. Um, so, I mean, one of them is how to talk about the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you have to kind of go slowly because every word means so much. Uh, asking about the Holy Spirit, I answered this. The name love in God can be taken essentially and personally. So what's the difference? uh, Essentially is what it is. Personally is who it is. This is not hard. See, you could have figured this out yourself. Essentially, Essentially, to love is to do good. That's what it is. What is love? Love is to do good selflessly, right? Only thinking about another person without... Reserve. To love is to do good. That's what it is. But who is it? If taken personally, it's the proper name of the Holy Spirit. As the Word is the proper name of the Son, love is the proper name of the Holy Ghost. It's very interesting, right? You're all very comfortable saying about Jesus uh, the Word who was made flesh, or in the beginning was the Word, right? You're very comfortable talking about that, and you know that that refers to the baby line in the manger. We're not quite so comfortable talking about love in terms of being the third person of the Trinity. I would just say to you, you know, if you need to test yourself just a little bit, just you'll you'll hear more about love today um, when you listen to the radio, any music that you play, uh, any sort of um, pious political talk. Um, read the New York Times or pick something else today. Read, read, read the opposite, whatever that would be. Just, if you kind of just think today, everybody will be talking about love with definitions that do not look like this, that do not look like the third person of the Trinity, and then do not look selfless, right? In fact, in modern culture, I mean, this is sort of counterpart to Pastor Nelson's little riff on being naked. Um, it, was, it was just so interesting, right? That little thing about Adam and Eve are naked in the garden, but the reason they're without shame is, um, it's not the point, right? This this notion of seeing into a person. So you look at a person, you see everything that they are, right? You look, you see everything, everything about a person. We we can only see skin deep, right? We make all sorts of judgments very quickly, and you know, pretty much modern culture is only driven back toward. Um, you know, if you had to say, what's the modern conversation? It's clearly um, gender and sex, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of a clumsy way to go through life. It's not to see anything at, at a very deep level. It's like, it's like, it's like you know, pe- sex is easy. I mean, why, why do, if you ask people if, if, if they're in love, it's very hard. If you ask them if they're having sex, it's yes or no. That's easy, right? Why do kids have sex rather than fall in love? Sex is easy. Love is hard, right? It's, just, it's easy, but it's a very clumsy way to pass through life. That you don't actually look into people and say, what's their heart like? What are their deeds like? What's there? What can be trusted? In the end, will I be alone? Will I be a- alone and afraid? Right? I mean, this is bigger questions. So um, the answer comes in, You know, the second one, I answer that gift, big G, taken personally in God is the proper name of the Holy Spirit. So if somebody said to you, who's the Holy Ghost? You would say, "Um, the Holy Ghost is love or the Holy Ghost is gift. And if you get those two things, you get most of what you need to say about the Holy Spirit. He is, in fact, love personified. Now, when I say personified, you immediately think flesh and blood. Hold that back for a second because you can be a person without having flesh and blood. Angels, Father, Holy Spirit. But what is he? You know, he is love in a person. It's this, um, here's a backhanded reference. I, you know, I do this a little bit just to sort of keep up, and I do it partly because my <sighs> seminary education was so lacking of this. I just, I can't, I read a, an account of an exorcism to this week by an, uh, an exorcist who, um, but the really interesting point is... Um, they sort of, talked about his first exorcism, which can be kind of a frightening thing. And he said, um, well, the, the question was, what was it like? And he said, it was, is this is just an interesting thing. He said, pride filled the room like fog. Isn't that interesting? See, so that's not head twisting around your shoulders and people puking out stuff and all that. No, it's, I mean, think about how terrifying that is. Pride filled the room like fog. I've been kind of kind of musing on that kind of this week. Pride filled the room like fog. You've been in situations, I know that you have, where pride or envy, right? Jealousy, hatred filled the room like fog, right? So you can think of a time like that. In the same way, just the opposite. The Holy Spirit is just the opposite. Love filled the room like fog. You've been in a situation like that, too. You have to have been at some point. You've been someplace in some family, right, with a group of friends in the church where love filled the the room like fog. It's it's an amazingly comforting thing, right? That every you may not... It's thick and surrounds you, and it's all good. That's how you think about the Holy Spirit. And then more you think about... Penetrates you, right, and lives inside you. He he joins his spirit to your spirit the way you go to the Eucharist. And Luther said your flesh and blood is cemented to Jesus' flesh and blood. You can see suddenly what a rich life this becomes if you'd only just pursue it. You know, so Jesus Jesus said if you'd only just remember, if you just. Like, I'll, I'll sort of knit myself to your flesh and blood, and the, the, the Spirit will twist His Spirit into your spirit, and you'll never be alone, you'll always be loved, and you'll move through life in a way that is always helpful and never, never hurtful, even though it may be painful, right? You'll release all sorts of energy into the world that is peaceful, loving, bright, positive, affirming. You know, so think about the gifts of the Spirit that way that they're sort of pushed out into the world, this energy that flows out, this light that you know, goes to the darkness and is never diminished. We read about that a few weeks ago, where you know it's like a candle lighting a candle. The first candle doesn't, isn't diminished by giving light to the second. That's you, right? So um, that's what the church is trying to talk about here. I'm at point four. So as gifts, the Holy Spirit bestows gifts, first himself and then the rest, right? And um then also faith. So he gives himself his big G gift and then he gives all the little G gifts that come along with that. Just turn the page for me if you will. Now, finally, so that you guys don't have to go write a bad report, the small catechism, second paragraph, with divine love applies to our misery as tender mercy. So love, a shorthand, another shorthand a shorthand definition of of um, uh, of of mercy is when love is applied to misery, right? You got to kind of so love, um, you know, um, mercy. Love is applied to misery. So you're you're miserable, and the salve for you, the solution, uh, or sometimes the absolution, depending on if things need to be strengthened or dissolved, whether they need to be you know transplanted or cut out. The solution is love. So applied as, uh, as mercy, right? Without my contribution, without my reason or strength, not as my work do, then, here you go. And we should say this better because we kind of zip through this and we don't kind of think about it. He calls, which is, he resurrects. Lazarus, come out! Right? So he resurrects you, calls, gathers, he puts you into the church where he tells you to abide, enlightens, there it is, illumines, and sanctifies, which has to do with the energy to do good work. Right, it's all there in the catechism: calls, gathered, in light, and set. Resurrection puts you into service, into a place where you're never alone. Everything is forgiven, where you um, um, where you're never left behind. Right, that you're never alone and unloved. So, um, what of troubles? Often people say, "Well, I suffer," and then you know, so there must not be a God. I mean, that is such a simplistic way to think about the world. I don't downplay your suffering, but I mean, if you think there's a cause and effect between suffering and you know, um, no God, There's, that's a non-sequitur of the first order, right? There's no place my life goes on, the life God has given me is one of his own. No place where he's not God, not such a God as was on the cross for me, who put his name on me with the water, and into my mouth is his body and blood. There's nowhere in all the world a sure fact than all of that. When all the evidence contradicts that item that he cares about us all, The large catechism confesses indestructibly. Nevertheless, I'm baptized. Right? So just the finish, and then we got to go. Gregory the Great, smart guy. The Holy Ghost himself is love. Augustine, too. The Father loves not only the Son, but himself and us. And so, too, you know, then we learn not only to love God, but also um, to love each other and ourselves. This is the woman caught in adultery, right? Who condemns you? Nobody condemns you. That means not God, not your community, and certainly not yourself. So the bottom line here is that you can um, not only love other people, which sometimes we find easier, but to be honest, many people find the hardest thing is to love themselves. And uh, what's so interesting is that there is self-love in the Holy Trinity in the most proper sense, that the Father loves the Son unconditionally and the Holy Spirit loves the Father unconditionally, wraps the Son up and pulls the Son into love. You can describe everything that happens in the Holy Trinity as the embrace of love. All right? And that you're given that spirit when you're baptized is really a remarkable thing. And so, I mean, how is it we can't do more good? we got to do, I mean, come on, friends, we gotta do, We got to do more. Um, not because under the threat, but it's just like there's all this energy inside you waiting to be pushed out into the world to make it a better place and prolong the final destruction. Um, You know, that's what you're here for. And then someday you're used up and we will bury you and eat potato salad and think of you fondly, okay? All right, happy Holy Week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so no Bible study next week, no Sunday school Easter, and then uh, no Bible study the next week um, because that's the 150th celebration. Then we'll come back the following week after that. Thanks.